First John chapter 2, let's, we're continuing our journey through 1 John, we're in 1 John chapter 2, so in the preceding verses as we've gone through John, John warns Antichrist is coming, in fact he warns that even now many Antichrists have come. Many more are still among us today. You do realize that, right? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Antichrist means one who opposes or one who stands in the place of Christ. Remember, while we're all looking for the guy to come, many Antichrists have already come and they're already here and they're doing their damage to the body of Christ and to the church because... If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of people in the church who call themselves the church who are absolutely opposed to Christ, who are anti-Christ, who are working to tear down the truth of God and the kingdom of God. That is antichrist. John said 2,000 years ago, there are many antichrists that have already come. And 2,000 years later, we can safely say that there are still many among us today. John exhorts the believers to let the truth, the Word of God, abide in them to counter, to disarm the lie, and to provide assurance of the eternal life that is found only in Jesus. Let's read 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. That is the Word of the Lord. Well, Father, thank You for the Holy Spirit, the anointing dwelling in us. We ask that You would today take Your Word, illuminate it, that we would be a people changed and transformed, a people conformed to the very image of the Son for Your glory, that we as Your church would be a bright light, a witness, that we would be the salt and the light of the earth. Father, we ask that you would do this for your glory, that we would be a people that would bring glory to your name. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let the word of God abide in you. John writes, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. John's words, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, are reference to the Word of God, specifically the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2.14, and just a few verses up above this, John, in that 
remember it was like a um, it was like a confession. It was like a creed. It was like a, a catechism that obviously the early church would sing or would recite or would chant. And he writes, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. John writes to the young men because they are strong and because the word of God abides in them. It's not that the word of God didn't abide in the others. He is Remember, writing to the fathers, he's writing to the children, he's writing to the young men. And he specifically says of these young men who have overcome the wicked one, that the word of God abides in them. Do you remember in the gospel accounts of Jesus in the wilderness when he is tempted and he's in, he's in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan comes to him and brings to him the three temptations? How is it that Jesus counters those temptations? He doesn't punch the devil out. He doesn't yell at the devil. He doesn't rebuke the devil the way we might think of it. He very calmly and very confidently with all authority quotes the word of God. Jesus is the Logos. He is the living word. And he countered the enemy with the word of God. And this is what John writes concerning these young men. You are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. In other words, the word of God is what God has given to us. It is the sword of the Spirit that God has given to us to overcome the wicked one. John writes to these young men because they are strong, because the word does abide in them. And John is exhorting not just these young men, but he is exhorting all the believers to let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Today, as much as ever, we need the Word of God abiding in us. As followers of Christ, we are to let the Word of God abide in us. And the only way we can do that is to read it, to hear it, to meditate on it, to pray it, to speak it. Jesus proclaimed from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if the scripture is sown into our hearts through the entrance of the gate of our eyes and our ears, it will come out of us in our talking, in our walking, and in our living. If the word of God abides in our hearts in abundance, it will be seen and heard abundantly in our life. So it's not just the pastor getting up and preaching on Sunday morning. We are all members of the body of Christ. We are all in union with Jesus by grace through faith. And we are to all have the word of God abiding in us so that when the world presses us, when the enemy comes against us, we have the resource within us to overcome that. And remember, John is writing this, and he's already told about all the antichrists that are among them. And the word of God is the truth of God. And that truth abiding in us causes us to overcome. So if the word of God abides in our hearts in abundance, it will be seen and heard abundantly in our life. In these uncertain times, we very often hear of people who are hoarding up essentials. Remember last year when you couldn't buy a roll of toilet paper if your life depended on it because 
for whatever reason, people were hoarding these things up because of COVID. I'm, I'm going to tell you, those days are not necessarily over. And it shows you how easily people are brought into fear and desperation. But if we think for a moment, if people would hoard up the Word of God in their hearts and in their minds the way that they are prone to sometimes hoard other things, we might find ourselves in a much better place as a nation, as a people, as the church. There is nothing more essential to sustain us in life and to heal us as a nation than the Word of God. And the Word of God is what we need to be storing up in abundance in our heart. Hide, your, hide the Word in your heart. Read the Word. Listen to the Word. Meditate on the Word. Pray the Word. Speak the Word. Let the Word abide in you. To abide in the Word is to know that you abide in the Son and in the Father. This is what John writes. Verse 24, the rest of this verse. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Sometimes people ask me, and they say, Pastor, I, I don't know whether I'm really saved. Well, are you trusting in Jesus? Well, yeah, I trust in Him. I love Him, but, but how can I know for sure? Well, listen, just get in the Word of God. Just start reading the Word, start praying the Word, start meditating the Word. Just keep putting the Word in your heart. Well, but I don't understand the Word when I read it, so I stopped reading it because I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, that's, that's our mistake. We're not reading the Word to get something out of the Word. We're reading the Word so that the Word will put something in us. It's not what we're getting out of the Word that's most important. It's what the Word is putting in us. And just like a farmer who sows, I mean, I don't know about you, I, I've planted a lot of trees on my property because I love trees. And I didn't have any trees when I moved out there. And you know, I can't explain to you how I can take a, an acorn or how I can take a little sapling and dig a hole in the ground and stick it in the ground and put dirt around it, put some water on it. I can't, I don't understand everything that makes that tree grow. I don't understand everything that makes a seed turn into a tomato plant that I can pick tomatoes off of, cut up, and then make a tomato sandwich with and enjoy. I, I, I just know it works. I don't understand all of the mechanisms, so I don't go, well, I don't understand how trees grow, so I'm not going to plant any. No, I don't understand exactly how trees grow. I have an idea how it works. That's why I plant them. And so I plant them, and when I plant them, they grow. When I put seeds in my garden, guess what? They grow. But guess what happens if I don't ever put any seeds in my garden? Guess what doesn't happen? Nothing grows. Guess what happens if I never put a tree in the ground? I'm never going to see a tree grow. Why do we think, why do we stop reading the Word because we don't understand it when reading the Word is about planting the seed in your heart? And we see this. God has given us amazing pictures, amazing ways to understand how He works. He's created a whole world that communicates how we grow spiritually. But we come up with these excuses because we want to be the ones in control. 
Instead of just simply trusting, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep planting the word in my heart. I don't understand everything I'm reading. I don't understand what's happening. But I know, just like a farmer planting seed or a person planting a tree, if I plant it, it will grow. And, and you say, well, yeah, but what if you don't nurture it? Well, you know how you nurture the word? You keep reading it. So you're planting seed, you're watering it. You're planting seed, you're watering it. You just keep doing that, and I promise you, God will bring the understanding, the revelation, the illumination. But if you don't have that word hidden in your heart, if you don't have that word planted in your heart, there's nothing there to manifest. There's nothing there to grow. And so, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son. Put that word in your heart. Hide that word. Read that word. Listen to that word. Now, who is the, who is the Antichrist? Remember, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And if the word of God abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. So John is writing this letter to give assurance to the believers. Just as in our own day, there are many false doctrines and false heresies in the church today, just as they were in John's day. Many of the believers, especially new believers, who were impressionable and unskilled in the truth, were at risk of being carried away by false teachers and false doctrines. This is what John is warning the believers about. And John is writing to give the believers assurance of their salvation and the promise of hope, the promise of hope they have in Jesus Christ. Thus he points out to them that the word abiding in them means that they are indeed abiding in the Son and in the Father. So when people ask me, how can I know for sure? I say, just keep reading your Bible. Look at the assurance the Scripture gives us. And the more you plant the seed of the Word in your heart, the more the lies of the enemy, the more the, lie, the, the lies that we tell ourselves. You know, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. We condemn ourselves. We tell ourselves lies about ourselves. And what we need to to do is not believe what we say about ourselves. We need to go to the Word of God and believe what God says about us. Now, that begins with understanding that what God has given us in Jesus Christ, just like we talked to the, little, to the kids today, what's the promise that God has promised us? Eternal life. I didn't get that promise because I deserved it, because I do not deserve eternal life. In fact, what I deserve is God's wrath. But God did not give me what I deserve. So there's a part of us, when we think about ourselves and we think about our fallen nature, yes, we deserve God's wrath. Yes, there is none good but God. But God didn't save us because we're good. God didn't save us because we earned something. God saved us because He is graceful, because He is good, because He is merciful. And so John, in writing this letter to the believers, is giving them the assurance of their salvation, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. Not because of what they have done, but because of what God has done. And our assurance is not based on what we do, 
and who we are. Our assurance is based on what He has done and who He is. Thus He points out to them that the word abiding in them means that they are indeed abiding in the Son and in the Father. John is giving assurance. He's conveying to the church just as Jesus conveyed it to him and to the other disciples the night he was taken to be crucified. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, Jesus is promising those who keep his word, those who obey and abide in his word, that he and the Father will make their home with them. The scripture reveals Christ and his gospel to us. This is how we read the Bible. Don't read the Bible as a book or a series of moralistic lessons that we're to live by. The Bible does give us morals and it does give us lessons to live by. But more importantly than the moralistic lessons is our ability and our desire and our seeking to find Christ on every page of Scripture. That as we read the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, as we read the Scripture, that we are seeing Christ on the pages of God's holy and inspired Word. And it is that revelation of Christ that sets us free. It is Christ as we can see Him more and more clearly as we are gazing into that image, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we are being transformed into the same image. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The more we hide the word in our heart, the more we study the scripture, the more clearly we will begin to see Christ. And the more clearly we can see Christ and peer into that mirror, which is the word of God, we will more clearly be transformed into that image. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so the scripture reveals Christ, it reveals the gospel to us. Jesus, the word made flesh that dwelt among us, the word of God is living and powerful as a two-edged sword, the writer of Hebrews pens. Verse, uh, Psalm 119, a psalm of David about the word of God. David, in pinning these words, writes of hiding God's word in his heart. Psalm 119.11, David writes, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. David hid the word in his heart that he might not sin against God. This is what we are exhorted to do as disciples of Jesus, to abide in God's word and to know that we abide in him and that he abides in us. And if we are faithful to hide the word in our heart, and if we are faithful to keep His Word, then we have the assurance that God abides in us and that we abide in Him. To have the truth is to have eternal life. Verse 25, the verse I read this morning to the children, and this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life is the promise we have in Christ. There is no other place that we gain eternal life. There is no other place for us to get eternal life. It is found only in Christ. His is the name above all names. His is the only name under heaven by which men may be saved. 
only in Jesus Christ will we find eternal life. Will we receive eternal life. Jesus is not one of many ways. He's not one of a few ways. He's not one of two ways. He is the only way. His own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are sealed in that promise by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the truth. He is the Spirit of truth. Jesus told his disciples just before his ascension to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was referring to in the beginning of the book of Acts. Go and tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. That was also revealed in Luke's gospel that the promise of the Father was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out upon the church. The Holy Spirit was poured out that day on His church. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11. In Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us to lead us, to guide us into the truth, to teach us, to transform us, to conform us to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit working in us to sanctify us and to ultimately bring us into conformity with Jesus Himself, the image of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us is our guarantee of eternal life. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased price to the praise of His glory. God doesn't make empty guarantees. God doesn't make empty promises. And God didn't just Though it is sufficient because He is God and His Word is His bond. But you understand, God didn't just give us a book and tell us about all the things that He's going to do for us and leave us wondering whether it's actually going to come to pass or not. Remember, how do, how do we know? We question sometimes God's love. And in the wonderful series we're doing on Sunday mornings in union with Christ, remember Dr. Ferguson says we go back to the place where God gave himself. This is how we know God loves us. Not because of the circumstances of our life, whether they're good or bad. If they're good, we believe God loves us. If they're bad, we, we wonder whether he does. No, that's not how we determine God's love. We go back to the place where God gave himself. It was at the cross that Christ gave himself and proved his love for us. But not just that, God also poured out the Holy Spirit. And Paul says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life in Christ who dwells in us to give us eternal life. We can have assurance of His Spirit dwelling in us as we abide in God's Word, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just like I can have the assurance that my fruit tree is alive and fruit-bearing as I see it grow, as I see the life in it, and ultimately that life will produce fruit. I don't have to wonder, is my fruit tree really alive as I'm 
pick the peach off of it and I eat the peach? No. I can see the fruit. I know it's alive. I don't have to understand that life. I don't have to understand how it got there. I don't understand how it went from a little seedling to now I'm picking a peach off of it. it, it it's life. It's, it's alive. It's the same with us. As we live our lives, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control manifest through our lives. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. That is the proof of God's life in us. We know we're alive. So keep planting seed. Keep watering. Keep nurturing. And that fruit will come out. And you will never have to wonder whether you have eternal life or not. The Holy Spirit is that life in us. We come to maturity because of that life that's living within us. The life that comes from the root who is Christ. Just like that fruit bearing tree. Christ is our life giving root. The one that we are growing into and out of. The Holy Spirit is the life abiding in us. And our obedience to God's word is the manifestation of his life and the fruit of His Spirit dwelling in us. This, this is our assurance. The life in us by the Holy Spirit is eternal. Thus the life we have in the promise of God that He promised us never ends. It is, as the children said, forever. This is the grace of God. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. We did not merit it in any way. God in His grace has given it to us. And if the life of God is in you, His fruit will come out of you. It will. Now, it might not come out at the same rate, the same pace. This is why the Bible says it's unwise for us to compare ourselves to one another. And this is, this is sinful. This is what we do in our sinful nature. We look at other people and say, man, I wish I was like him. I wish I was like her. I wish I could quote the Bible uh, the way they quote the Bible. There used to be a guy... Um, uh, a friend of ours, Mike Manuel from uh, West Virginia. And that guy, it, it would, he, he would quote hundreds of scripture. He, just, he has a photographic memory. I met someone a while back who had a photographic memory. And my first thought was, I wish I had a photographic memory. Well, I don't. And I don't have one because God didn't give me one. So I, I'm not going to compare my memory to their memory because that would be unwise. But what I can do is be faithful to keep planting the Word in my heart. I can be faithful to read it, study it, meditate it, let it through my eye gate, let it through my ear gate, plant it in my heart, and trust the Holy Spirit to bring it to my remembrance as He sees fit. This is what we do. This is the proof of the life of God in us. The truth disarms the lie. Verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So Paul's, I mean, John's writing to this church because there are those who are trying to deceive the believers. False teachers trying to pull them into false doctrines and follow false ways. Those who try to deceive us are called antichrists. Pay attention to the antichrist all around you. 
Don't try to figure out who the one guy is that everybody wants to focus on. That is how the enemy distracts us. While we're focused on the one guy and trying to figure out who he was, who he is, there are antichrists all around us, and they are robbing people. They are stealing people. They are deceiving people. They are opposed to Christ and to His truth. The truth not only disarms the lie, it sets us free from the lie. Those who deceive are perpetrators of the lie. And John writes these things to assure us that we can discern the lie, we can disarm the lie, and we can walk in the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. The Holy Spirit teaches us according to the truth as we abide in Him. Verse 27, but the anointing, remember that anointing which you've received from God, that is the Holy Spirit. The anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. We are to be abiding in the truth. That's the bottom line of verse 27. We are to be abiding in the truth. And the anointing that we receive from God is the spirit of truth. And the spirit that's abiding in us, that was put in us when we were made new creations in Christ, the Holy Spirit teaches us, leads us, guides us into the truth as it is in Jesus. So truth is not relative. Truth is not subjective. There are not many truths. I don't have a truth, and you have a truth, and you have a truth, and you have a truth. No, there is one truth. Jesus is the truth. There is an absolute truth that we measure everything against, and it starts with Jesus. And so we're abiding in the truth. The anointing, the spirit of truth in us leads us, guides us, shows us, teaches us, reveals to us that truth as it is revealed to us in God's Word. Because the Spirit and the Word are one. In other words, the Spirit will never lead you in a way contrary to the Bible. And the Bible will never lead you contrary to the Spirit. It's impossible. Though this Bible is not Jesus Jesus is called the Word of God. And this Bible, this book of ink and paper that has words in it that are inspired by God, the purpose of this book is to reveal to us the living Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. And it is the Spirit of God living in us that brings the revelation and the illumination for us to be able to read this Word and see Jesus, and know Jesus, and walk in His ways, and walk in the light as He is in the light. Jesus gave teachers to His church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to build up the body of Christ. This is the work of making disciples and building the kingdom. Now I just read to you from this verse, John writes, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that. Let me read a scripture to you from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
this is an example of the Bible not contradicting itself, but actually complementing itself. So John writes here, and this is the danger of taking things out of context, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, if we take that out of context, we could say that John is saying that we don't need teachers. Well, let's go to another scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And why did he give those? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Well, how long do we have these teachers? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Guess what, folks? We're not there yet. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. These men, Paul refers to here in Ephesians 4, verse 14, are the antichrist that John is referring to in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 or 24. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth, this is, this is what we're to gain from our teachers, teaching us the Word of God, equipping us for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ, that we grow up in all things to the fullness of Christ, and that we are speaking the truth in love, growing up in all things into Him who is the head. He's the head, we're the body. The head and the body are connected, they're in union with one another, and they function as one. And the way that we learn to function as one with Jesus is for His Word to renew our minds, to teach us, to lead us, and to guide us. So Christ ordained teachers in the church until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. That means teachers are necessary in the body of Christ. So what does John mean when he says you don't need any man to teach you? John is not saying we do not need teachers. John is saying that man cannot teach what only the Spirit can reveal. I can teach you about Jesus, but I, as a man, cannot give you a revelation of Jesus. That doesn't come through the teaching of a man. You can learn a lot of facts about Jesus. You can memorize this Bible. But if you don't have a revelation of Jesus by the Spirit of God, you just have a bunch of facts that don't mean anything to you. John is saying that man cannot teach what only the Spirit can reveal. Only the Spirit can give us a revelation of Christ. Man cannot impart that revelation of the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Faith in Christ is the gift of God that comes by the Holy Spirit. By the preaching of the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ sets men free. So my job is to preach the gospel. Your job is to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to let the gospel be known in every area and every aspect of your life. Family life, work life, church life, everything. And it is the gospel, the gospel of the means that God uses to save men. But it is God who saves men. Not teachers. It's the Holy Spirit that must bring a renewal and a revelation of the truth to men's hearts. 
Men teach and preach, but the Holy Spirit brings revelation and transformation. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ cannot be taught to any man. It must be imparted to men by the Spirit. Christ is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It is from that spiritual revelation of Christ that we know the truth and are set free. Paul, speaking of his own revelation of Christ, wrote this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul got that revelation, Paul was already a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had already received more Bible education than any of us will ever get. It wasn't that Paul didn't have the Word of God. He had the Word of God. The whole time he's murdering Christians, guess what Paul has? He has an intense, deep knowledge of the Word of God. But guess what he didn't have? He didn't have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And all of that Bible knowledge, all of him sitting at the feet of his rabbi, becoming a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees, did not give to him a revelation of Jesus Christ. He had a lot of Bible knowledge, but he did not have a revelation of Jesus Christ. It was God. It was the supernatural act of God that gave to Paul the revelation of Christ that he lacked and he went from killing Christians to preaching Christ to the point that they did their best to murder Paul and they were never able to murder Paul. The Jews weren't. The Romans did. The Romans beheaded him. But the Jews were the ones that originally sought to have his life because of that revelation of Christ that came to him. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We know the truth just as it was promised by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 33, when he foretold the coming of the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that God has now fulfilled that promise in establishing the new covenant as foretold by Jeremiah and the prophets. And we become partakers of that new covenant in Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31, 33, verbatim. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. God has brought this to pass in Jesus Christ. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He has written his law in our mind and on our hearts. We feel that when we are convicted of our sin. You ever been there? You don't have scripture and verse. You just have a conviction in your heart and in your mind of your sin. You can't point to Scripture and verse, perhaps, but you know the Spirit of God in you is bringing conviction. This is, this is what God is talking about. This is what Jeremiah is referring to. God wrote that law on our hearts, in our minds. 
We don't need anyone to tell us when we're sinning. The Spirit in us, the law in us, the law of the life, uh, of the Spirit of life in Christ, it, it reminds us, it convicts us of our sin. We feel that when we're convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts us, John writes, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And with the Holy Spirit abiding in us, we no longer teach one another to know the Lord. I can't teach you to know the Lord, but I can preach the gospel. And God can take the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. And He can, by the miraculous power of His Spirit, change your cold, dead heart into a living heart that loves Him and seeks Him and desires Him. That is the miracle of the new birth. That is the miracle that happens when you're born again. With the Holy Spirit abiding in us, we no longer teach one another to know the Lord. For all who are chosen in Christ know Him. It is by a revelation of the Spirit that we know the Lord, and so the Spirit leads us in the truth. By the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we know the truth. We may be rebellious, but we are no longer deceived. We know the truth as it is in Jesus. We know He is righteous, therefore we are to practice righteousness. We know we abide in Christ and are born of Him if we practice righteousness. The last two verses here, verses 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. If we are abiding in Christ, we may be confident when we appear before Him at His coming. If we are not abiding in Christ, we need to be fearful. We have reason to be fearful if we're not abiding in Christ. Because if we're not abiding in Christ, then we will experience the wrath of God. If we are abiding in Christ, then Christ has already taken our wrath that we deserve, but He took it upon Himself. And this is why John says, if you're abiding in Christ, you can have confidence when you appear before Him at His coming. And later in this letter, in chapter 4, John will write that we can have boldness in the day of judgment because as Christ is, so are we in this world. That is an amazing promise. One I'm looking forward to getting to and talking about and giving you hope and assurance concerning your salvation. Those abiding in Christ practice righteousness because they know He is righteous. And everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Practicing, I want you to listen carefully here, practicing righteousness and never sinning are not the same thing. We are all prone to sin. But we are not to make sin our practice. We are to practice righteousness because we know He is righteous and His Word is abiding in us and His Spirit is abiding in us. And so the Spirit leads us and guides us into the truth as revealed in His Word. And we walk in the light as He is in the light. We walk just as He walked. That's what our desire should be. That's what we strive to do but we fail miserably. 
The fact that sin is alive and well within our members is why we need and why we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If we sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Practicing righteousness does not mean we never sin. Practicing righteousness means we no longer desire to live in and practice sin as a lifestyle. If someone says, as they're living and practicing a sinful lifestyle, I love Jesus and I know I'm going to heaven one day. Well, yeah, but what about your sin? Oh, well, that's not sin. I'm saved by grace. God doesn't care about that. Well, I'm sorry, excuse me, but you better go back to your Bible and read again. Because God absolutely cares about sin. And we can know what sin is because the Bible defines for us in great detail throughout what is and what is not sin. And in case we miss that, if you truly have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart, you're going to know when you sin because you'll feel that conviction. As we abide in Him, we may still fall in sin even while seeking to practice righteousness, but we will never be content to remain in our sin if we are born of Him. In Christ, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. We now live in and according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. We can walk in the light as He is in the light, knowing that we abide in Him. And we can do that because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is good news. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the table. John charged the believers to let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. That is the word of God. Our charge is to let the word of God dwell in us richly. Sow the word in your heart. Sow it in the same measure you wish to reap a harvest. The law of sowing and reaping applies to all areas of our life. Sow the seed of the word in your heart abundantly and you will reap abundantly. People often tell me they do not understand the word of God and that becomes a reason they do not read the word of God. But when we plant the seed in the ground, we plant it not fully understanding, but we plant it knowing that it will bear fruit. We plan it because we know that is the only way it can grow. It is the only way it can produce fruit. If we do not plant the seed, we cannot reap a harvest. The same is true for the Word of God. You do not need to understand. You need to plant. Plant in your heart and plant in your mind. Read the Word. Reading the Word is planting the seed, and if you plant, you will reap, and God will give you understanding as you grow in His grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. May we be a people diligent to abide in His Word, and so much so, even more as we see the day approaching, that we will have the assurance that we abide in Him.